How many times can you sing that? God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, God is so good. If you had to start mentioning all those things and cataloging all those things, you'd sing it a lot more. God is so good, and he's so good to all of us. We're thankful for a God who loves us beyond our understanding and beyond our wildest imagination. I'm going to be in Psalms 11. You want to turn to that in your scriptures? I'm going to be in Psalms for the next couple of weeks. And this is uh, Psalms 11 is a short little sweet psalm and one of the more unfamous psalms that you'll find in scripture. Uh, But it's uh, powerful and uh, has uh, great truths in it for the Christian people. People love the Lord Jesus. Psalms 11. You want to stand for the reading of God's word, please. In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I put my trust. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountains? For look, the wicked bend their bows and they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will seek his face. Lord, add his blessing to the reading of Scripture, please be seated. Let's say this together, shall we? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. So you found out that Mark passed away this week, right? And that was sad. We just saw him last week. He had gotten back to church after his surgeries and, uh, you know, on his knees and was kind of jumping around and happy to be here. And then all of a sudden we got a phone call saying he had a massive heart attack. So remember that family in your prayers and uh, uh, just a, a, a sad thing. We'll miss him around here. He, had, he, was, a, he was a joy and he always had a, a bright spirit about him uh, and the things that he did and all the work that he did and, and the different things that he has been involved with with, with, the, with the building itself. So continue to remember that family in your prayers. This psalm could equally be entitled, Check Your Foundation. Check your foundation, a storm's coming. A storm is coming. We sang about it, several songs. These are difficult times. These are times that try men's souls. And uh, chaotic times and cultural change. Things are happening that uh, are not, not uh, are, we question in our hearts and in our minds. And, and, and many believers today are asking the same old question, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's the question here in Scripture that's being lifted before us. And I thought, well, let's talk about this because that indeed is the time that we're in. A foundation is probably the most important part of a building. Isn't that true? Most important part of a building. Jesus taught the parable of the, the foolish man that built his house on the sand, you know, talking about foundations there, that the winds came and the rains blew on that and the thing collapsed. A building can only 
stand if the foundations are strong, are strong. Bui Khalifa is the name of the building. It's the name of the building. It's the tallest building in the world now in Dubai. And look, look at that thing. It's about almost a half a mile. It shoots into the air. It's 2,716 feet. I mean, it's, look, at, look, at, look at the buildings next to it. It's huge. It's a huge thing. Uh, it used uh, about uh, five feet thick raft at the bottom of it that went through the whole uh, building. I mean, 192 piles that went down into the ground that were five foot across, and they went down 164 feet. That's two basketball courts turned upside down and went down into the ground. Huge, huge endeavor. 110,000 tons of concrete went just into the foundation of the building alone. Why such effort? Because, as we know, if the foundation fails, the building will be destroyed and everything in the building will be destroyed. There's another psalm that this reminded me of as I was reading through it, and that's Psalms 137, which, is, which I like really a lot. It says, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land when things aren't going the way we want it to be, when life is difficult in our lives? And the Bible is full of texts about suffering, full of texts about trouble, and here in this psalm, you have the same principles on how to deal with trouble that you find all through Scripture. The same principles are given to us. So to understand a psalm, you need to realize that psalms are really written like newspaper articles and the articles that you would see today. A newspaper article has a summary sentence at the very beginning. And the first sentence tells you everything that that article is going to, it's, it's a catch, it catches you. You know, if you go on the internet and you look at the different things, there's a catchphrase for you to come into that article and to look at it. So the first sentence tells you everything it's going to tell you. It pulls you in. And verse 1 of this psalm does the same thing. In the Lord I take refuge. That's this psalm. That's what's going to happen in this psalm. So it brings you into it. In the Lord I put my trust. And the rest of the psalm just elaborates on that theme that's been given to us. So when the storms come and the winds blow, how can I get into God? How can I trust in God? How can I go there? How can I go there? And in verses 1 through 3 are quotes because somebody here in 1 through 3 is talking to David. David's going through a difficulty. Someone's talking to him. Some terrible thing is happening to him in his life. And we're not told what it is. But in verse 2, it gives us a pretty good idea. It says, the wicked bend their bows. The wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings and they shoot from the shadows, which means that, that David doesn't know who they are. It's, it might be an assassin, it might be whatever, but there's something happening and they shoot at the upright in heart. So the psalmist David is in danger of the wicked that are shooting at him and either his friends or his enemies are advising him here to run hide. Everything's falling apart. Society is crumbling. Things are going bad for you, David. You can't trust the judges. You can't trust the army anymore. And we saw a little bit of this yesterday, didn't we? 
The society's falling apart. And the counselors of David, his friends, are saying, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. Verse 1, run to the mountains. Just get safe. There's no hope anywhere. Find a cave. Get into that cave. Flee. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. You know, just from the nursery rhyme. You're going to be killed. Everything's falling apart. And in verse 3, we have a voice of despair. What can the righteous do? What can the righteous do when morality is undermined and evil moves unchecked? What can the righteous do when the Bible, the church, is being attacked and their teaching are being ridiculed and ignored? What can the righteous do when even professing Christians support the rising tide of unbelief? What can the righteous do when the family values are crumbling and historical truths, natural truths, are laughed at and openly ridiculed with increasing damage to children and to parents and society alike? What can the righteous do? do? That's the question. In th this is a common question among God's people who feel powerless in the face of crumbling foundations, things we always believe, things we, we, what can we do? And some fellow's poor advice here in scripture is run, flee. In our times, it might be hunker down, right? Save yourself and your children. Withdraw from society. When the foundations are crumbling, what can the righteous do? Well, first of all, they can go on being righteous. Go on being righteous. They can stand against evil. They can be the people of God that God has called us to be. The one thing we must not do is flee to the mountains. We must not desert where the Lord has placed us. And by the way, he might have placed us here for such a time as this, as God's people. Here's the hidden truth that you find. There's several things that you find in this passage of Scripture. How do you know what the real foundation is in your life? What's the foundation of your life? And this passage of Scripture deals with that. You, you don't know what makes you tick until what makes you tick is destroyed. And you're thinking about it, and you're looking at your life. When you get down, and you, and, you, and you don't want to do a doggone thing anymore, you're just tired of fighting, you're tired of all this stuff, you, you call it what you want. You can call it depression. And people get depressed. Uh, maybe, maybe it is. But there's always a spiritual root. There's always a spiritual root. Your foundation has been destroyed, and you're being tested the scripture tells us that here. That's what's happening to all the people around David. Look at verses 1 through 3. And we, what we have here is there's panic. There's no hope. Life is falling apart. It's just everything's, everything's being shaken here. And so you go down to verses 4. Take a look at that. Verse 4. David begins to communicate the quotations. Notice in scripture, the quotations that are in verses 1 through 3 stop. That means something. It's striking. The air in the atmosphere of verses 4 through 7 is different than the air in the atmosphere of verses 1 through 3. There's a change that happens here. And yet David and his friends are, are looking at the very same events. The same thing. 
out in society. But David has a totally different perspective. It's interesting that the question being asked by those controlled by fear is, what can we do? What can the righteous do? Um, The real question is, to whom shall the righteous look? That's the real question. To whom shall the righteous look? The Lord is the only one. When foundations are being shaken, when life turns, in verse 4, follow me in scripture here, he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine him. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. David is showing us here how to take refuge. Verse 1 gives us the thought, in the Lord I trust. In the Lord I take refuge. I trust the Lord. Verses 4 through 7 shows us how. Shows us how. You don't have to flee to the mountains. Make God your mountain. That's what he, make God your mountain. Let me just say four things as I look at this passage of scripture. The first thing you have to do is you have to recognize who's ruling the world. And David goes into that here. Who's ruling the world? Uh, So in in verse 3, the foundations are being destroyed. And in verse 4, it says, no, they're not. No, they're not. God is in his holy temple. And we say holy temple, holy temple. We think holy temple. We always think, you know, we're earthbound. We think, we think temple on earth. And actually, no, verse 4 continues. He sits on a heavenly throne. Not like here. It's different. Heavenly throne. You see the contrast here. God's not fleeing. God's not breaking up. God's not running away. He's not falling apart. And not only that, what does it say? He's sitting. He's, he's not worried. He's sitting. He's not up pacing around, running, doing what. He has a kingdom that's not of this world. He's sitting. David is saying, the first thing you have to remember, no matter how bad things look, our God is reigning. Our God reigns. He has an unshakable kingdom. The king is in residence, not in flight. His kingdom has foundations. Remember, even when no one believes in God, God exists. Even when no one believes that the Bible is the word of God, it's still true. Even when no one cares about the teachings of the scripture, those God-breathed words will still judge everyone in the last day. Even when no one thinks judgment is coming, Jesus is coming. He's coming. He's coming. One of the most famous historical examples, I've used it once before, and I'll use it again because I like it so much. And and I'm getting older, so I can do that. I can repeat. I'm repeating now. Things that this example of Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon, and uh, you've heard me reference this before. Remember, Luther was the leader of the Protestant Reformation, and his life was literally in danger all the time, literally in danger constantly. Philip Melanchthon was his right hand guy, and Philip was a worrier. He worried about everything. It was just that was his in his constitution and his makeup, and but Philip was more of a scholar. 
than Luther was. Luther was more of a slash and burn kind of guy. I mean, he just was active, moving around, doing whatnot. And when you read verse 1 through 3, that's Philip, Melanthon. That's Philip. Verses 4 and following, that's Luther. You can see the different personalities here. So Melanthon runs in saying, oh my, my, things are falling apart. They're after us. They're going to get you. You're going to be arrested. Everything's falling apart. And the whole thing that we're trying to do here is going to, nothing's going to work. And Luther says, and I love this little phrase, and, and it's, let Philip cease to run the world. Let Philip cease to run the world. That's exactly what David is saying here. God's on the throne in heaven. You're not running this world. You're not running this world. Um, when I'm all excited to run away, running around with stuff that's going on in my life, you know, I, I think, let Tom cease to run the world or anything. You know, God's in control. God's in control. Now listen, either there's no God and there's no reason for you to even be upset about injustice. Who cares if there's no God? Or there is a God and he now knows more than you. He knows more than me. He's in charge of things, right? Panic is always the premise on the, uh, the idea that you're, you're, you're the ruler of the world. And you get all excited about everything. You're, you've got to take care of these things. You know best. Cease to rule the world. God is on the throne. God is on the throne. It's the first thing, and it's so basic to Christianity. It's so basic to our faith. God rules the world. Basic premise. Second thing we see here, the second thing we learn is that the troubles and disasters and we see many of it today, are really what he calls here examinations. Look at it, verses 4 and 5. He observes the sons of men, his eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence his soul hates. The word examine here is the same word as test. It's a test. You know, a math test uh, is the same thing as an examination. If you have an examination, I used to be a teacher years ago. I gave exams, I gave tests. Tests show you what you know and what you don't know. That's all they do. What do you know? What do you not know? And I would give tests to the students to find out where are we at here? What's the level of learning? Where, where, where we need to be? What's interesting here is David says, you think the foundations are being destroyed but he doesn't send us disasters because he hates us. He sends them because he's examining us. He loves us. He, God, you're so good. He loves us. You say, well, I don't see the word love here in the scriptures anywhere. Well, let's look, all right? Over and over you have in this passage of scripture the word Lord. Look at it. Do you notice it's all in caps? It's all in caps? Why? It's emphasizing? No, that's not the reason why. In the Old Testament, you have two predominant words that are used to refer to God. Elohim is the generic word for God. It means Almighty God, Elohim, Creator God of the universe. But there's another name for God, a personal name that's used. And that's the word 
Yahweh, or Adonai, Yahweh, the personal name. In the burning bush, God revealed that name to Moses. And Moses was shocked by it. It's the covenant name that he gives. Please call me Yahweh. Please call me Tom. You know, I, I, I tease some people sometimes. They're going out the back door, and, and if they're new or whatnot, no, I don't do that to new people because it confuses them. But I would say, uh, you know, some people say, well, what, what should I call you? What should I call you? Well, you don't want to ask me that. I, I, I would traditionally say, my friends call me Tom. You can call me Reverend Roberts. <laughs> and they just look at me. <laughs> They'll call me Tom. Call me, call me, call me Tom, you know. Uh, God is saying to us, I want to have a personal relationship. It's capitalized. Yahweh. Personal relationship. That's what's happening here because you don't have the word God, you have the word Lord. You have the word Lord. The word Lord is at the heart of this psalm. God has a personal relationship, and it's, he's personal. He cares about us. He's your covenant God, your father, your shepherd, your savior. He sends things not to hurt you, but to test you. They're not punishments, they're exams. All the stuff I go through in my life, all the stuff, God is saying, let's see how this shakes out. Where are you in your life? Where are you in your life? They're here to show you who you are. Can you handle this? Without them, you don't grow. They're painful. Yes, they're painful. They're stressful. Yes, they're stressful. But there they are. And God's tests are perfect. They're perfect. Let me suggest at least two kinds of tests that I see in Scripture. Maybe you can see more than this, but I see two. They're in the scriptures. So so God is testing us, right? He's testing us. Okay, great, fine. What's he testing for? That's the question. What's he looking for? What's he want? Well, two things that I see. Maybe Again, maybe you see more. The first one is what I would call the, the Jonah test. The Jonah test. And the second I would call the Job test. The Job test. Why does God send a big storm into Jonah's life? Well, Jonah was a preacher, but he didn't want to preach to the Ninevites, those dirty... Didn't want to preach to them. So when God says, go to Nineveh, he jumps in a boat and heads the opposite direction, right? What's God doing? God is trying to show Jonah there's a sin there in his life. There's a flaw in his life. There's something, that's, there's, there's sin that's present. Sometimes the reason for the test, the troubles in life, is God's just trying to grab you by the nap of the neck and stick your face into the mirror and say, will you finally look? Will you look at your life? Your friends have been trying to tell you. Your spouse has been trying to tell you. Your parents and your siblings have been trying to tell you. There's a problem. There's a problem. The reason these things are going wrong is to show you a sin. There's something in your life that's not right with God. Do you twist the truth a little bit? Are you harsh? Are you abrasive? Arrogant, perhaps? Bitter at people? 
What, what's going on in your heart and in your life? It could be anything. That's the Jonah test. Could be a sin. There's a kind of test, uh, another test, that's the Job test. It's different. It's different. God sends a test, trouble into Job's life, right? Different, different person, different time. His children die. His money's gone. Status, influence, gone. I, I, I learned something as I was studying this that I didn't think of before about this. The problem with Job, and I think it's the heart of this, in a way, the reason he spun his wheels for so long is that he thought he was in the Jonah test. He kept looking for his sins, right? The whole thing, first thing, he's looking for his sin. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And Job's just saying, well, well, wait, I, I do this right and I do this right. I've, I, I haven't done anything wrong. I've, I've done this right. You know, this, he's going down a list. He's checking it off. And he's looking at it. He's looking for a sin. What's the lesson? What's the lesson? A lot of us are like that. We get into a big jam and we start looking, well, what I, you know, what, it's got to be, be a sin. Okay, God's trying to tell me something. What is it? What's the sin? You know, show me. So Jonah was a test to show a particular sin. Job's test was a foundation test. Not a particular sin. It's God asking you, look at your foundation of your life. Look at the reason. Why do you live? Why do you live? What's the most important thing in your life? It's identity. We've been looking at this on Wednesday night. The identity of our life. So Satan says to God, does Job serve God for nothing? Job is being obedient because you give him stuff. Take away all that stuff, all those good things, you'll see Job's just using you. Job serves you for himself. His foundation is his children. His foundation is his status. His foundation is his wealth. You're not his foundation. Take those things away, you'll see. Sometimes God says, I'm not after a particular sin in your life. I want you to see I'm God, you're not. That's simple. I'm worth having even if you have nothing else. It's all gone. I'm worth having. These things are not your salvation. I am your salvation. I am your God. Sometimes tests are about the whole foundation of your life. First, David says, make sure you realize God is in charge of this world. And then second, make sure you see all your troubles and your disasters are tests. And then he says a third thing in Scripture here. Only false foundations can be destroyed. You go to the Word of God. The foundation. God is in heaven. God is in his holy temple. We've read that. That, that, that can't be destroyed, right? That can't be destroyed. Who are you serving as a Christian? What is your foundation? Disasters can only knock out false 
foundations. Remember, God is God. Your panic comes because of false premise that you're in control of something. You're in control of something. Serve God for his sake, for who God is. Delight in who he is, for the greatness of who God is. He's not only good that we sang about, he's also great. So even Christians can end up putting their confidence or trying their faith, they just tie it to the wrong things. And we get discouraged when we hear the, the, a survey that mentions the declining morals in America or the, or the lessening of religious fervor in America and around the world, in our nation. But none of those impacts the foundation. None of them. None of them. Even if only one Christian is left on earth... the real foundations would still be sound and would still be firm. Only eight people believed in God at one time on earth. You remember that? It's in 2 Peter 2.5. I'll put it up on the screen. God didn't spare the ancient world either. He brought the flood on the world of ungodly people, but he protected Noah and seven others. Eight people. Eight people. Eight people, yet God was just as powerful. Foundations were just as much intact as before. All right, drop down to the last, last, the last verse in chapter 11. Look what he says here. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. The person who believes, and there are people that believe, that God will save most people in the end, no matter what they believe. God's going to save people no matter what, how they live, has completely missed the point. God's a holy God. God's a holy God. God as our refuge, that we run to him, that, he, that they we're safe, we're our refuge, people can... can go after that for a lot of different motives, that God is our refuge. I need God for this. I need God for this. I need God for that. I need, I need, I need. I, I, so they, they see God as refuge, and he can be sought for, for different motives about who you are and yourself. But to behold his face is a goal that you can only get with love. With love. Only love has an interest in seeing his face. If you want refuge in God, you have to seek his face. Look at the last thing David says. And, and, and let me say this, student. When we say seek his face, what we're talking about is presence of God. That you're in the presence of God. So that's That's meaningful. That the, 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 the knowledge of the presence of God is what we need. We're seeking his face to be in his presence. That's what this is saying. And that's what David is trying to say here. So the final word is taking refuge in God. The upright will seek his face. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the Bible says any foundation you build on down here is coming down. You know that? Any foundation you build on down here in this world is coming down. It's coming down. Um, there's a good illustration that I've used before, because I can. 
but I don't, I'm sure you don't remember it. But it's about an old, it's the old lumber, lumberjack illustration. And the lumberjack was about to cut down a tree and he saw a bird that was making a nest up in the tree. And in mercy, he took the side of his axe and he smacked it on the tree and he smacked it and he smacked it and he smacked it and the tree kind of shook. And the poor little bird, almost, almost having a, a cerebral hemorrhage there, he decides, figured out, I can't build my nest here. This is not going to be a, a good place to be. So he flew over to the next tree and he started to build a nest. And the lumberjack looked up and he said, well, I can't have, can't have that happen. I got to cut down that tree. So he started to, to beat down on that tree. And then he, the bird flew to another tree and he said, well, I can't have them on that tree. And he started to beat on that tree. So he's looking at all these trees and says, I got to take all these trees down. So he's beating on these trees and he beats on these trees. He kept pounding on the different trees, relentlessly harassing this little bird until finally it flew up and it made its nest in a rock. In a rock. Why does God shake your trees? Why does God shake your trees? Because every tree in this world is coming down. Every tree in this world is coming down until you make a nest in the rock of ages. Put your faith in God, Creator. Everything here is going to be shaken. And there's a shaking happening. There's a shaking coming. And it's all going to be shaken. At the end of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, it says this. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us worship God with reverence and with awe. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do you know why we're, we're, we're going to receive a foundation, a kingdom that can't be shaken? You know why? Because Jesus Christ was shaken. Jesus Christ was shaken. The reason everything here is shaking, the reason we're, we're shaking, my body's getting old, my body's falling apart, I got hip problems, I got this, I got the, 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 and I'm going to die? There's death, you know? Relationships fall apart. Things in this world deteriorate. Physical uh, universe is deteriorating. Why? Under the weight of sin, Scripture says. On the cross, Jesus Christ was shaken, literally shaken. You remember when he died? Remember when he died? There was an earthquake. You remember? The whole place shook. Things were falling. The, the veil of the temple was, you know, the whole place was shaking. He was shaken. He received all this disintegrating power of sin so that we could have an unshakable kingdom. He did that for us. He was shaken so that we would receive a kingdom which could not be shaken. That's our faith. Let me say it this way, another way. This is the bread of the new covenant. Communion. This is the bread of the new covenant. Broken for you. Broken for for you. What is that? What is that? That's Jesus being shaken. So you can receive a foundation that can't be shaken as a Christian person. Everybody in this room, 
Everybody in the sound of my voice is either in a test or just over a test or a test is coming. That's life. That's life. In the midst of that, you're going to say, how do I find my real foundation? How do I find my real foundation? My real foundation will not be shaken if it's in Christ, the one who was shaken for me, the one who was broken for me, Jesus Christ. And we sing that song, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground, sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. We turn to him, and this psalm is all about that. We're going to talk about some other psalms in the next couple of weeks that, that, that speak to the strength that we have. On Christ, the solid rock, we have a foundation. And our God is in charge of this world. And yes, we will have a test. We will have a test. And we will have trials and tribulations. But on Christ, the solid rock I stand. So we turn to him. We trust in him. We take refuge in him. And you will be unshakable as well. Let's pray together. So Father, we're thankful for this uh, small but powerful little psalm. And the truth of it, the power of it, uh, the, uh, the joy of it as we look at our lives and look at what Jesus has done for us. And we're thankful for this, uh, this, this man years and years and years ago, David, for his faith and his wisdom through your spirit to record these things for our benefit today in a world that's being shaken. Father, help us to realize we do have a foundation in Christ and that we can walk with confidence, we can walk with our heads high, we can walk in your strength, knowing that uh, this world is passing away. And there's another world, there's another kingdom, there's another kingdom. And we're thankful for that as Christian people. We ask, Lord, you continue to bless us, pound that into our minds and into our hearts in the, the days and the weeks and the months to come as we look around at a world that's being shaken. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.